Hey, it's the Weather Channel Podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari. I'm here with a couple of other meteorologists. I'm a meteorologist. Um, and so is John Erdman, and so is Chris Dolce. And we're all working for the digital team here at the Weather Channel. And we just want to be curmudgeon today. We want to talk about what are the most frustrating and annoying things for a meteorologist to see in real life, okay? And, oh, my gosh, we could go through so many of these things, you guys. Uh, first of all, how are you guys doing? Chris first, because this is your first time on the podcast. What's up? Yeah, thank you. Doing pretty well. Um, you know, I'm just going to get a little grumpy today. That's and, okay. Uh, join in on the fun. Welcome. Welcome to the fun. Uh, John Erdman, we haven't done one together in a while. Uh, we were we were kind of some of the original two that were doing some of these. How, how are you doing up in Wisconsin, by the way? Are you doing great? I've practiced my uh, Clint Eastwood accent here, so get off my lawn. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, so the the whole idea for this podcast was actually Chris's idea. So you're going first, Chris. What what's one of the most annoying things for you to to see? I would say the number one thing for me is watching people uh, drive into flash floodwaters. You know, take their vehicles through an unknown depth of water. And then you put the water rescue crews at risk, having to go out and rescue uh, the occupants in the car. I mean, we had a really good example of this yesterday in uh, Virginia. The uh, Fairfax, Virginia uh, Fire Rescue tweeted a video um, that basically said crews responded to two trap motorists and uh, the driver followed two other cars into rapidly moving and rising water after another driver removed the previously (laughs) installed protective barrier. You see these all I mean, the time. I mean, it, it literally is just Darwin Award stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, this is one thing, you know, when I'm on the air talking about flooding situations, you know, obviously people drive into flooded water and, you know, a lot of people lose their lives this way. But I like when you get a situation where somebody drives into the water, we get it on camera and the person doesn't die. And then I can use that piece of video to show other people because, you know, let's just be honest here. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit because one of my things that annoys me is when you know, meteorologists themselves are uh, not understanding that the general public doesn't get everything that we understand. We'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, uh, you you get what it's like. Like you're driving in the middle of a rainstorm or something and there's a spot on the road where it's like a little flooded and everybody's just going through it. It's kind of like a peer pressure type of thing, right? But you see it so often. I mean, this is the thing that I try to really hammer home to people is this is the easiest way to die in severe weather, right, John? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, just some, you know, just some empathy first. Uh, you know, I I have to admit that it's human nature that you don't think it's going to happen to you. You know, you see all these videos as Chris described earlier, and you think that only happens to somebody else. You know, maybe you're running late or something like that. You need to, uh, you know, pick up your kid from daycare. Uh, maybe you have to get someone to uh, to a school practice or something like that. And you just think, well, I I, I can make it. I've got this pickup truck. Uh, it doesn't look like there's a lot of water there. I can make it. And uh, so, you know, it's just it's just almost human nature. But you're right. I mean, two thirds of flood fatalities in the U.S. are from vehicles, are from being trapped in vehicles. And as soon as it happens, as soon as your car starts floating, you have no control over it. And so, yeah, it, it's dangerous. Uh, that's the most dangerous thing you can do in a flash flood. So, uh, you know, just resist the temptation. Is, and as the Weather Service always says, turn around, don't drown. I know. It sounds so tacky. And when you're a regular person, you've got that big pickup truck. You're like, oh, whatever. It looks like it's not that deep. I can I can make it through here. But it's one of those situations where it's just the blink of an eye. It's like a snap. You know, by the time you realize, oh, no, I goofed up. I shouldn't have done this. In many cases, it's too late because you're already floating. And, you know, I will say, because I know we're going to have people listening to this, that, you know, they'll still run into an area where there's some water on the road. 
if if you're going to choose one to really not go through, if the water's moving fast, don't even think about it, you know? Like, I get some standing water. It looks like a puddle. Okay. Like, I'm not saying you should do it, but you'd be better off trying that one than you would be trying across uh, a, a flooded roadway where the water is moving, you know, where a creek has risen up or a stream has risen up really high. Those are the ones where people really get into trouble. Any other thoughts on that stuff, Chris? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where whenever there's a flash flood situation, um, you know, we use what's called National Weather Service chat to monitor flood reports. And uh, in, in those scenarios, I'm almost just, you know, waiting for the first water rescue report to come up. And it's just, you can almost set your watch by it and uh, expect to see, you know, in some of these moderate to higher end flash flood events that you're going to see water rescue start to creep in and then they pile up. And by the time you you're all said and done. You're up to four dozen water rescues somewhere. And it's just, it's a lot of stuff that could be unavoided, could be avoided. Um, if people just say, you know what, I'm going to be late. I'm going to take another route and uh, it's going to take me longer, you know, but it's better than putting myself at risk and also putting these people, you know, these, these fire rescue people that are out there, they're, they're putting their lives on the line, you know, to rescue people from these vehicles to get stuck. So um, it's just one of those things that as, as meteorologists and trying to communicate this, that don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But yet it just keeps happening. I just don't know if there'll ever be a, um, end game to that, so to speak, as, uh, John referred to, you know, people, um, want to get where they're going and they want to get there now. And that's just, that's just the nature of the beast right now. Do you think there's any better way to communicate it than what we're doing? I mean, could we be doing anything better? Do you think? I don't know how many, you know, I don't know how to say it in any, any other way. I mean, <laughs> right. I think we drill it. I think we drill every single flood situation, every flood article I've ever written. I think I've written in there that, you know, if you encounter a flooded roadway, turn around. And then, you know, the statistics of, you know, how many people are killed in, you know, flood related vehicle, uh, being submerged in a vehicle in a flood waters, uh, per year. So I, I just don't know how many times you can echo that over and over. Yeah, I think I think one thing that we could do better is, um, you know what it's like working in media. We have to be very sensitive about, hey, we uh, we have the situation where there's a car that got swept away. Now, we know that the person ended up dying, so we can't show it. I think if we start showing stuff like that, I mean, I'm not saying showing, you know, gory stuff, but I'm saying – if you can show a situation, be like, look at this person. They're just driving. They're just driving into the water, and then they just get swept away. And I got to tell you, like, this person didn't make it. This is the reason why you don't do this. Like, I think uh, visual examples, especially in today's world, you know, people just want to see, you know, they want to see the video to just show them why you shouldn't be doing this stuff. Um, anyway, yeah, that I think would probably fall at the top of most meteorologists' lists uh, as far as things that are frustrating to see. Um, okay, John. I'm going to let you go second. <laughs> well, just to follow up real quick on the on the flooding yeah. part of the part of the challenge is, uh, you know, a, a typical flash flood warning may cover uh, part of a county, uh, and it may cover you. But if you look outside your front window, you may not see flooding. So you may say, "What's the big deal?" And some of these flash floods are extremely localized. They can be on a small creek, um, a small river, uh, you know, just a, a, an underpass uh, in a, in a part of a city. Uh, so, you know, the weather service usually does a good, really good job of pinpointing exactly where that flooding is occurring. But, uh, you know, when you hear flash flood warning, it may not be happening right outside your front door. So you may go out and drive around and not consider it a big deal until you get to that flooded section of road and you face that critical decision. Do I drive through this? No. Do I turn around? Yes. So 
part of it is just a challenge there. So yeah, I agree totally. Um, okay, that was like I said, probably the number one on most meteorologists' lists. What is something else that is frustrating for you to see as a meteorologist in real time, John? Well, if we stick with the summer theme, you know, a lot of times this time of year, we'll we'll have people uh, tweeting at us at Weather Channel and posting on Facebook, "Hey, nice ten percent chance of rain today," and they'll they'll show their app with the ten percent chance of rain, and of course, it's just pouring rain, and clearly they're upset with us because it was only a ten percent chance of rain. But what happens this time of year is often you'll get these days with isolated thunderstorms, and if you just look up the definition of isolated, or if you just think what comes in your mind as far as isolated is just maybe one or two thunderstorms in, say, a five, six-county metro area in one afternoon. And unfortunately, what that means is there is still a chance of thunderstorms, but it's small. But if that thunderstorm moves right over your Sunday afternoon uh, family reunion or picnic outdoors... It's going to suck. Well, <laughs> obviously, you can get frustrated, but there's that's just the definition of what isolated thunderstorms are. It's not a 0% chance. It is a chance. Yeah, these. Um, I, I was having a recent discussion um, on Facebook, I think, with some other meteorologists about percentage of precipitation or probability of precipitation. I'm sorry. I always just think about it as pops in my head. That's just what I think about. And basically, that's meteorologists <laughs> speak for that little percentage number that you see on the seven-day forecast, you know. And, you know, just the general idea that most people don't know what the actual definition of that is. I personally... I've got a lot of thoughts on this. We could we could do a whole podcast on this on whether you should use them or not. If you're a broadcaster, and um, you know, for instance, uh, whether people know what they mean, if you want to use them in a different way, because I'm telling you, I've worked in this business as you guys have for a while. And would you agree with me when I say you ask 50 different meteorologists what pops means, like what the definition is? You're probably going to get like at least 30 different answers, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh... It's pretty difficult to explain. I think I've seen the question, you know, approached to us and um, in our, you know, Twitter mentions to the Weather Channel, you know, what is what does 50% chance of rain mean? You know, so I don't I, I honestly think, you know, it's it's difficult for people to interpret exactly what that means. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, if you have a 60% or a 70% chance of a shower and thunderstorm on a given summer day in your forecast, that you know your your overall odds are that you're probably going to get get a storm whereas if it's you know say 30 40% you know maybe you're maybe you're a little more optimistic with your day you know, if you have uh, outdoor plans yeah no i totally i totally agree and the thing is you know when i was working in local news and i was doing a lot with uh, the percentage of uh, precipitation and all that um what basically i would always just explain it to the viewer every time I mentioned a percentage. And I would say, um, I would basically say, look, I'm saying a 20% chance of rain today. So I don't, I don't know what the technical definition is and I don't care what the technical definition is. But when I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm meaning that there's a 20% chance that you will get rained on today. And if you do get rained on, it's going to be really hard. You know, it's going to be really heavy rain and like pop up summer thunderstorms or something. I'm just thinking about working in Huntsville or you know, a place like uh, Atlanta. I mean, geez, this is a weird pattern yeah. that we're in right now with all this uh, nonstop rain. But, you know, your typical summer stuff. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think, John? Well, Ari, I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, the, the, trick of, the trick of this is that, say, if there's a 30% chance of rain, that could mean it could be a slow-moving single thunderstorm that is slow, like I said, slow-moving. So it could last an hour or it could be just a quick passing shower that would last all of 10 minutes. 
but all it has to do is produce a hundredth of an inch of rain or more, and it verifies the forecast of, you know, X percent chance. So, um, you know, this is this is where having a weather app is valuable. And again, not not to to toot our own app, but you know, just any weather app but out there the best can one. help you. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, well, you know, if you know, we have. Let's say you have a family outing uh, on a Sunday afternoon, and you have a twenty percent chance of of rain or isolated thunderstorms. I mean, what do you do? You know, for twenty percent chance, I wouldn't cancel it. Cancel nope. the outing. But what I would do is, you know, smartphones are pervasive now. Have a weather app on there that you can turn on rain alerts and lightning alerts, so that you, you know, you you feel your smart. You hear you hear your smartphone go off. You know you have you have to get people in some kind of shelter if there's a thunderstorm that approaches. So that's really all we can do this time of year. Yeah, just to kind of piggyback off of that, <laughs> I just kind of thought of this on, on the fly as one of the things that actually I do find frustrating being a meteorologist is, you know, I get it. You're a meteorologist. People are going to ask you when's it going to rain and all that kind of stuff. But especially I've learned more of this like living in the southeast, living in places like Huntsville and Atlanta, like I said before, when you get these pop-up thunderstorms, I mean, those are literally impossible to predict where they're going to pop up. You know, every day is the same. It's basically, yeah, there's going to be about 20% of the area that's covered with really heavy thunderstorms, but they're all going to be looking like small little dots on the radar. So one really frustrating thing for me is I would really just like to see more people um, learn how to use radar because it's super easy to use. Like you don't have to know exactly what reflectivity means. You know, the green stuff is light. The yellow and red stuff is heavy. And, uh, you know, if you can get one that shows you lightning, that's even better Um, just so you can know what's coming. I mean, it's anybody can do it. You know, you open up your app, you find where you are on the map, and then you put the map in motion. And then you look at, okay, is the storm coming this way or not? That's it. Like, it's so easy to do. And when I get asked as a meteorologist, I'm like, you don't need a meteorologist for that. You know, just get radar. Am I, am I being too curmudgeon What do you think, Chris? I, I, it's funny. I had that exact same thing uh, sort of written down on the, <laughs> you know, things that frustrate me. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things like I can't count how many times I get in the summer. Is it going to rain today? You know, from a family member, you know, my wife or something like that. And I'm like, I, I honestly don't know. You know, we have a, 60% chance of a shower or thunderstorm today. That shower or thunderstorm could strike, you know, five miles down the road and miss us, or it could pop up right over our house, give us an inch of rain in 15 minutes. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it messes things up. So it's, it's a very frustrating thing in the summertime to, uh, to have to deal with that. Um, and you know, I'm, in, I coach softball. So I, I get, when I'm at the ball fields, a lot of those people know that I'm a meteorologist and I get that question. That was your first you know, mistake. Are we telling the games them. Into, you know, I know that's, <laughs> it, it gets revealed and it's like, are we going to get the games in tomorrow night? I'm like, I don't know. And you then, know, it's, then you, you know, give your number yeah, out to them and you're getting, yeah. your texts are blowing up every day. Right. <laughs> I, I draw the line there, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm, I tell them, you know, I, we have a pretty good chance of it showers and thunderstorms. Let's just hope they stay away. And, uh, you know, we get the games in. Yeah, that's what I usually say. I'll be like, yeah, about a 20% chance, but if you get caught under one, it's going to be a bad one. Anyway, um, okay, my turn. Uh, one that really bothers me, this is this one is, I guess, kind of close to the flooding one, but um, if there is one thing that I have learned to have respect for just in my life in general, it's lightning. Okay, lightning scares the bejesus out of me. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things like when people talk about storm chasing and find out that I've done some storm chasing, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do that. I'm so scared of the tornadoes. I'm not scared of the tornado. I'm not scared of the hail. I'm not scared of any of that stuff because I know I can see the tornado. I know where it's going. I I see it on radar. Lightning can pop up 
at any time, and you don't have to be in the part of the storm where it's raining. Uh, you don't even have to be directly under the storm. I, I just saw one the other day. I saw a lightning strike driving home on 75. Uh, it was one of these, it was a couple weeks ago when we were in our actual real summer pattern where it's like pop-up thunderstorms every day. And um, I saw just a huge flash of lightning in an area that looked sunny. Now, of course, I knew there was a kind of a storm next by and, uh, nearby and it had come kind of out of the side of the storm. But um, I ran into a situation the other day. I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but um, I live pretty close to Lake Altoona. Uh, up uh, north Atlanta suburbs, and I got some buddies that wanted to take the pontoon boat out on the lake. So I'm driving home. From, I literally changed into my bathing suit in the car, like like before I <laughs> before I left. Okay, that that one's a tough one to do. By the way, you got to make sure you're in a very a very good spot in the parking garage for that one. Um, <laughs> a very non well lit spot. So yeah, I I I'm all ready to go, and as I'm driving home, I'm driving into this beautiful rain shaft. I got a couple great pictures of it, and I'm like, that's pretty much right over the lake. And I'm looking down at the radar, and there's lightning in the storm. It's not directly over where we're gonna go boating, but. I, I go to pick up the person that I had to pick up, and um, I'm like, "This this is not a good idea." I hate to be I hate to be the bearer of bad news because you've got five or six people that are you know they're ready, they got the food, the drinks, the coolers, the everything, and I'm like, "We shouldn't do this," and they're peer pressure, man, peer pressure. So I caved. We went out on the lake, and I said, "Fine, as long as we as long as we anchor the boat under un, under a bridge because it was kind of it was raining a little bit." Um, anyway, long story short, we ended up being fine, but we only spent about 10 minutes on the lake before I'm looking down at the radar and I'm like, guys, this is about to get really bad. Like we need to get off the lake now. And then we ended up watching the rest of the storm from, uh, one of my buddy's garages lightning. Like I haven't seen in a very long time. And there was a, a house fire close by from a house that got hit by lightning. And I'm just glad we got off the lake. We shouldn't have got on the lake in the first place. I did a bad job, but to kind of finish up on that, <laughs> yeah, one of the most frustrating <laughs> things for me to see is when people don't take lightning seriously, like myself. That's that's an interesting thing that you brought up because I was just thinking of uh, a time uh, recently, I think it was last, might have been last fall or August or something like that, August or September, and uh, um, I assistant coach with another, uh, uh, my daughter's uh, softball team with another coach, and uh, we had quite a few rainouts and uh, for practices, so we were really dying to practice one day, and we got out there. And we were, you know, warming up about 15 minutes later after we got into warmups. Uh, here comes a thunderstorm. I looked at my radar um, on my on my phone. I was like, hey, man, uh, this isn't looking good. We need to get out of here. And uh, we just got to have to cut it. We have to figure out something else. And he, he was kind of hesitant. He's like, ah, really? I was like, you don't think it's going to pass over there? I'm like, no, there's there's no avoiding this. We need to get out of here. This this isn't worth it, man. So Questioning the meteorologist. Let's, let's moving on. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> I was like, so it's it's pretty much a, a parallel there. Have you ever run into that situation, John, where you've had to be kind of the uh, the poo-poo guy? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the one story I'll pass along uh, is I was playing Little League Baseball. I was about 10 years old. And, uh, you know, it was the classic darkening sky of the West, and you could hear thunder. And neither coach was really uh, paying attention to what was going on, which was surprising because the sky was getting dark. It was a, it was a red flag. And so I go up there to bat, and I'm a terrible baseball player. I mean, terrible. Uh, I mean, I, I went through an entire season with one hit. So I was going up against this the best pitcher in the Little League. I mean, this guy was just throwing gas. And I was terrified of lightning. I, so I, I, I heard the thunder, and I walk up there with my aluminum bat, and I took three awful swings in a row at pitches outside of the strike zone, dropped the bat, ran into the car, and, 
I, I'm terrified <laughs> of lightning. So, yeah, I, I it's the the trick with lightning is that if you can hear thunder, um, you know, you you technically are in the danger zone. Uh, you know, there are lightning strikes that can occur. You know, five to ten miles outside of a thunderstorm's rain shaft. So it may not even be raining where you are. And sometimes you get these positively charged lightning bolts that can occur, these so-called bolts from the blue. And those often can cause injuries and deaths. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't mess around with it. I agree with you. That is the most scary thing, uh, meteorologically speaking, for me. It, I, you know, it's a just, lot of these things you can see ahead of time. but Exactly. I mean, lightning. you just can't predict it. And it's something that I was actually the opposite. I used to not be too afraid of it. I mean... Uh, I, I specifically, I specifically remember my mom telling me something when I was little, like, oh, if lightning's going to hit, there's nothing you can do about it anyway, or some, something like that, that just resonated with me at a young age to thinking and in, into thinking the wrong thing about lightning. And it's only since, you know, since I've been storm chasing and, you know, had a bolt hit like, you know, a couple football fields away or, you know, when uh, my tree got hit when I lived in Mableton, another Atlanta suburb um, in the front yard, that was the loudest and scariest noise I've ever heard in my entire life. And I play the drums. I've heard a lot of loud and scary noises. This one was, <laughs> it put all that stuff to shame. All right, we're going back around the horn. Chris, you got another one? I would say, uh, you know, from a operational standpoint of communicating weather information that drastic forecast changes are probably one of the most frustrating things to deal with. Um, you know, an example would maybe be like a, uh, a nor'easter along the East Coast, you know, Subtle differences in the track of that area, low pressure, you know, mean a foot of snow or an inch of slush, you know, just depending on the track. And, you know, as we know, leading up to those storms, the models can, you know, flip back and forth. And as far as intensity and track and how much snow, you know, any one location is going to get, um, you know, thankfully we have the uh, ensembles these days, which we didn't have when I was early on in my career to sort of iron out all the jumps. But I would say, you know, drastic forecast changes walking in in the morning. Oh, here's the latest round of model data. Oh, goodness. You know, the New York City forecast is, you know, 12 to 24 inches, whereas, you know, 24 hours ago, it was three to six. You know, so that that to me is one of the most frustrating thing. And then having to communicate that change, you know, to the masses and get it out there and say, hey, this has changed. And, you know, this is a bigger deal than we first thought. So here's what you need to know. How that is that frustrating to you? I should be the one complaining about that. It's my my stupid <laughs> face that has to go on the air and tell people and look That's like true. an idiot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. John, I know we we talked about this before back in the day. I think we did a podcast a while ago when there were three nor uh, or about like all the nor'easters that happened in a row, right? I mean, you have some more thoughts on that? Oh yeah, how can we forget the four easters of March? Uh, <laughs> boy, you know, it's it's yeah, I mean Part of it is just the embarrassment of riches that are out there as far as model data that that anyone can access. And you know, when you see this model data out there, you know, if you're if you're not a, an experienced meteorologist, you may look at it and say, well, okay, well that's the forecast that's going to happen. Well, that's maybe five days away. Uh, so you know, part of it is just kind of the expectation with all the, the the available data, the model data that's out there. But a model does not equal a forecast. And Usually what happens, you know, if we're, you know, say five days out of a nor'easter, a winter storm, or a hurricane, or even a, a potential severe weather outbreak, is we'll just put out the, we'll just put out the message that there's a potential of this happening. And, you know, we need to check back for more particulars on it. So, 
you know, we, you know, we get a lot of questions, obviously, if it's five days out and there's a potential East Coast storm, well, how much snow is New York City going to get? And unfortunately, we don't like to give this answer, but we often have to give the answers. We just don't know yet. It depends on the exact track, the exact track of it. Um, and again, that's not something people want to hear. They want to know, know particulars. But, you know, sometimes in these events, we have to wait until we're 48 hours, 36 hours, even 24 hours out before we can really get more particulars on how much snow are you going to get, um, how bad the severe outbreak is going to get or uh, where the uh, hurricane may make landfall. And unfortunately, that's just the state of the science right now. Those are the absolute worst. Uh, obviously, those nor'easters where the rain snow line is so close. And um, the ones that are especially <laughs> important for the big cities. And I've, we've had a couple of these, even in the last season, where it was literally Boston and New York were changing drastically. Um, and you've got a bunch of other big cities up down there, you know, Philadelphia, just all these spots. And there's so many people there that are intensely watching your forecast. And when you have to change it at the last second, gosh, I can't remember the name of the storm where um, we were forecasting a ton for New York and then, a, oh, no, or, or Boston. I can't remember. There have been so many of them where it just changes at the last second. I remember just like coming into work in the morning and being like, wow, this looks different from yesterday. Uh, how am I going to handle this? Like, what do I say? Because you, you have to acknowledge it. You know, you can't yep. you can't just be like, yep, and here's your forecast, blah, blah. You have to be like, yes, I get that we were forecasting three feet of snow for you yesterday, but now it looks like you're going to get mostly rain with a few snowflakes mixing in. You know, that's uh, not a fun thing to do. I totally agree. Um, okay, John, do you have any more? Well, I, I, I think that covers most of them. The only other one I would uh, throw in there is, um, you know, on occasion, and, and you get kind of get this pulse sometimes in social media, but... You just get the sense that there are some warnings that people just don't take seriously enough. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, severe thunderstorm warnings. You know, there are so many of them. <laughs> uh, There's overwarning for sure. Yeah. Parts of the South. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're put out for a reason. They're put out because it's a it's not just your typical thunderstorm that, oh, by the way, also can be dangerous with lightning, as we talked about earlier. But it could produce, it could knock a tree down in your yard. It could knock a tree down onto your house. Uh, it could knock a tree down in your car. Uh, it could um, it could produce it could produce large hail that can you know if you're caught outside you know it can really <laughs> it can really be dangerous and could could even be deadly in some situations. So you know I, I you know we we have to issue we, they issue severe thunderstorm warnings for a reason. There there are many of them you know that that meet a certain criteria, but sometimes it's just a it's just a balance between do you overwarn but then do you underwarn and you miss some storms that end up, you know, knocking a tree down on a house and killing somebody. So, uh, you know, it's a tough problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, the severe thunderstorm warnings are, are still dangerous and should be taken seriously. Uh, it doesn't have to be a tornado warning to be serious. Yeah, we have yeah, talked. I get nervous. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Uh, I said I get nervous every time there's a severe thunderstorm warning um, near my house, just the, the where my house is located. I have big, tall oak trees on, like, basically three of the four sides. So every time there's a severe thunderstorm warning, there's a chance of, you know, even in the summertime, a downburst, you know, could take out one of those trees and put it on my roof. It just, I, I never feel safe, you know, um, 
safe living there just just even with a severe thunderstorm warning so i i definitely uh heed those warnings well yeah and especially uh, centralized especially maybe after some of the rain that we've gotten recently you know like uh after all this rain's over the ground's going to be good and soaked it could be a 30 or 40 mile an hour gust that could take down you know a smaller pine tree or something if the if the soil is really loose you know that's another problem that people don't think about um but yeah i had a bunch of trees taken down in my backyard when i moved into the house that we're in now um it was basically all woods in the backyard. And there was literally a tree that was like hanging over the master bedroom. <laughs> like it was that bad. It was like at a, you know, I don't know, 20 degree angle or something. So we took a bunch of those out and I feel a lot better, but there's still a ton of really, really tall pine trees back there that could easily fall in the house. Those guys have a little more bend though, don't they? Yeah. I think they're more prone to snapping. It's the uh, shallow root and ones like your oaks and stuff. I believe that, you know, have the shallow roots and are more prone to the uh, saturated snoils and uh, the whole, you know, the whole root clump coming out of the ground and slamming into your house. Hey, or... here's another little dangerous thing that a lot of people don't don't uh, think about. And I actually just learned this a couple of years. I didn't know this was a thing. So when these trees get uprooted, um, you know, at some point people come in to uh, clean them up, right? You know, they bring out the chainsaw and all that kind of stuff. Well, one thing that happens sometimes is that kids will play underneath the uh, the area where it's been uprooted because it looks really cool under there. You've never seen that part of the tree, etc. There have been a lot of cases where kids have gotten crushed by that because uh, people are cutting up the tree and then the tree gets lighter there and then eventually the roots are heavier and the tree just goes back to where it was, at least the base of it. So there's a little tip huh. in case you never have heard of that before, the whole you know, uprooted tree falling on people thing. Um, okay. I think I've just about exhausted mine. I don't know. I don't get, this is really funny that we're doing a podcast on this. Um, and I definitely have my annoyances, but one of the things I actually had written down as one of my annoyances. This is maybe my biggest annoyance being a meteorologist is <laughs> I, here comes the irony, uh, meteorologists being condescending. You know, like uh, meteorologists having the holier than thou thing. Um, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe these people are stupid. Why did they not take this more seriously? I think in many cases we need to look at ourselves and uh, figure out how do we how do we do things better? Maybe this is a good way to end the podcast, right? On on a positive note, like we'll uh, be a little bit self-deprecating here. (laughs) But you you just see it all the time within the meteorological community. Um, Oh, my gosh, I can't. I can't believe people don't know what percentage or uh, probability of precipitation means. How, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, I can't believe they didn't take this warning seriously. And I know we already just talked about it. I can't believe they drove into the water. But I, what can you do in some of these situations? I mean, some of these situations we're we're doing about all we can, right? Yeah, that's really well said, Ari. Um, you know, we're we're in the business to help people. Uh, bottom line: help people prepare, to help people make plans. And if we're <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this quite, quite often as anybody. But uh, you know, if we're communicating in terms that don't make any sense, uh, that doesn't get the message across, well, we failed. Uh, so you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's one thing to we love to analyze, we love to pour over maps and pour over data. Uh, but uh, you know, again, if we don't, we don't speak in clear terms that you know can help people uh, avoid hazardous weather. Then again, what we really haven't accomplished much. So that's well said. Let me squeeze one more in before we go. Um, Heat lightning. How do we not hit heat lightning yet, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's not a thing. You guys, what are you talking about? I just saw some last (laughs) night. It's all over the place. Did you see it in the distance? You can't hear the thunder either. It's crazy. Okay, so here's the deal, people. Um, If you think there's a thing called heat lightning, there isn't. It's actually not a real thing. I used to think this all the time because we had a breezeway at my grandparents' house. We used to go visit them in Baltimore. And I remember my uncle 
He would say, um, look at that, that heat lightning back there. He'd be looking down toward Towson or something from Baltimore. And you could see it on the horizon in that backyard. Man, I love uh, reminiscing, just these old memories from when you're like seven <laughs> years old, you know. But I grew up I grew up thinking there was a such thing as heat lightning. You see the lightning and you don't hear the thunder. You don't see any storm around. So you're like, wow, it's just got to be the heat making the lightning. Well, if you look at a radar, anytime you see that heat lightning, there's going to be a storm somewhere within, you know, I don't know, 50 to, 50 to 80 miles or something. All it is is just a storm that's really far away. So the sound doesn't carry, but you can still see the lightning. You just don't hear the thunder. Sometimes if you look closely and the storm is way on the horizon, you know, you'll see like some bubbly clouds back there and you'll always see it on the radar. I think that about covers. Yeah, it. I can remember. Go ahead. I can remember as a kid, you know, we, we had this big uh, living room, uh, you know, high ceiling with these giant windows. And in the summertime, I'd sit in there and I'd see the, you know, the skylight up at, in the evenings when it was dark. And, uh, you know, it was always sort of mystifying, you know, where, where the heck is this, this coming from? It's not raining here. This is, you know, I was probably seven years old or something like that. And so I didn't know this is way before the day and age of uh, uh, computers and Internet and all that to uh, date myself there. Um and, you know, it, I remember somebody telling me it was heat lightning and I was just, I was like, what, what does that mean? You know, I, it didn't, I was like, does the heat cause the lightning or are you just <laughs> referring to it's a, a hot atmosphere and there's thunderstorms and they're far away? You know, I, I didn't, I couldn't make the connection on what the heck was going on, why I'm seeing this flash, but yet there's no thunder and there's no rainfall. Yep. Good old heat lightning in the summer. You got to love it. <laughs> um, guys, I'm, oh my God, daycare, daycare keeps sending pictures of my daughter. There's nothing better than when daycare sends pictures of your daughter. So I got to go look at those. I got to leave now, guys. Um, (laughs) I think we just about hit it all, though, seriously. Uh, We'll do plenty more with you, Chris. This was fun. John, it's good to be back in the saddle. Um, If you listening enjoyed the podcast, you know, give it a subscribe or a like. If you thought it stunk, that's okay. You know, you can rate it low if you want to. But if you liked it, if you want to rate it high, that would be great. Um, And, you know, I don't know which one we're going to do next, but we've got some good ideas on the horizon. Um, Thank you guys for hanging out with us. um, And we'll see you back here next time, all right?